Amen, amen. I think it's funny when we think about this image of the king is coming and this idea of what it will be like in glory that how very Southern Baptist of us to assume that we'll sing Amazing Grace. Like, we're, we're, like that is the most Southern Baptist song I've ever heard. Like, well, you know what we're singing? Amazing Grace. We're going to have Amazing Grace and still be reading from the King James Bible when we all get to glory. And, and, and that's, that is, the, amen, that is the most Southern Baptist thing I've ever heard. Um, and, and if it's true, you're all going to look at me in glory and be like, told you, preacher. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. All right, let's, let's get into our text a little bit today. One of my favorite movies when I was younger, and you guys probably hear me do movie references more than you realize, but I love movies, and I always have. I worked at a movie theater. Uh, Bob Moore and I have that in common, and uh, I've always loved movies. And one of those movies that I've always really liked came out in 1998, and it was a film called Rounders, starring Matt Damon. And the movie begins with the main character losing everything he has playing uh, Texas, Texas Hold'em. And at the, as the movie progresses, this life that, that he is, uh, has, has tried to put behind him because of the tremendous loss, um, a friend and a lot of other circumstances bring him back into that life. And by the end of the movie, that, this same person, the main character, which is played by Matt Damon, is forced to put everything on the line again um, to save both himself and his best friend from, from really what is going to be certain death. And he's about, as he is about to do so, as he walks in to the place where he plays, uh, plays poker and, and, and goes in to try and, and really kind of redeem his life back, he says these words. He says, in confessions of a winning poker player, Jack King said that few players recall big pots that they have won. Strange as it seems... But every player can remember with remarkable accuracy the outstanding tough beats of their career. Now, you may be wondering, what on earth does high-stakes poker have to do with our passage of Scripture today? We would not think that those two go, things go together. But it is because that today we are talking about failure. The main character in the movie is haunted by his failure. His failure is what causes him to walk away from something that, his lo that he loves. His failure is what causes him to fear getting back into the game, so to speak. And it is, and it is the fear of failure that, that, that ultimately has to be overcome in order to save not only his life, but the life of his friend. In our passage today, we will see one of Jesus' own disciples experience that same kind of failure. And we will also take time today to see what happens next. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to begin by reading verses 27 through 31, but we're going to read a couple more passages throughout the day. So if you would like, please stand for the reading of God's word, but this, I will only make you do it for this one time. In Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 27, it says this, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. 
Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. Please be seated. As we put ourselves back into the, con- the, the context of this passage, you'll uh, remember that they've just celebrated uh, the Passover meal. They've just had the, instituted the Lord's Supper. They've sang a hymn. Jesus has then dropped a, a bomb on them saying that he's about to be betrayed by one of his own and that he's going to die. That's all happened. That's all transpired. And, and, and then they, they leave from there and they're heading out to, out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're on their way there. And as they are on their way to this garden for this time of of prayer, then he drops this second bomb on them. It goes from bad to worse by him saying, not only am I going to be betrayed by one of you and, and be handed over to my enemies, but also on top of that, all of you will abandon me. All of you will, will, will scatter and will, will leave me to face these next few hours, these next few minutes by myself. Jesus is not saying this to shame them. He is not telling them this so that they will just feel miserable and and, and recognize just what horrible people they are. In fact, Jesus is telling this to them to remind them that, that, that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. The very lines that he uses about the, the shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will scatter comes from Zechariah 13, 7. He is revealing to them that God is ultimately the one that is going, that is involved involved in everything that is happening, that nothing is going to happen apart from God's sovereign plan and purpose. And that even if we look at Zechariah 13 as a whole, we realize that this is God's redemption plan beginning to take its full effect. Zechariah 13 points to the reality that God is making all things new through the new covenant that we have in Christ. Jesus is also telling them this because he knows what is about to happen. He knows how dark things are going to look. And so he is wanting them to to have hope, to have some bit of encouragement that even when everything seems its very darkest, when they are there on Friday and the sun is blacked out, and, 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 the, to, and the, the, the curtain is torn and everything seems to be at its absolute darkest moment that there is hope. Because we see in verse 28 that he says, and after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you. I will lead you back to Galilee. He's saying, yes, I'm going to be betrayed. Yes, you are going to scatter. Yes, I am going to be crucified. Yes, I am going to die. But I will raise from the grave. And I will still lead you. And I will take you home. Just as he has many, many times before. He is reminding them of what he has come to Jerusalem to do. And that is not just be crucified but to rise from the grave. And then, in the midst of, of this, this, this news and this offer of hope and this, this, this piece of encouragement and the reminder of the resurrection, P- 
Peter speaks up. You ever known people that can't stay quiet? My wife's not here, or she would be looking at me as one of those people who can't stay quiet. I relate a lot with Peter, because there are times... I, I always know that I have said too much right after I've said too much. I'm the guy that something comes out of my mouth, and maybe it's Philip, maybe it's Joe, usually it's Dennis, and I say it, and I go, Nope, I should not have said that. I should not have said that. <laughs> Peter seems to always be that person as well in Scripture. And so in the midst of this news and this good news and, and Jesus revealing that, that prophecy is about to be fulfilled and that God's work is, is, is happening even as we speak, Peter goes, Nuh-uh! That's never going to happen to me. I'm never going to do that. Nuh-uh. I don't care what the Bible says. I ain't doing it. I'm not making that mistake. Jesus, I will never do that. Even if everyone else does it. I love verse 29. Everyone, all of these other JV, half-hearted, sissy boy disciples, they may all fall away, but not Peter. Because I, I, I won't do it. Because I'm big and I'm bad and I'm tough. And I won't, even if I have to die right alongside you, I won't deny it. Gotta love him. Gotta love Peter. If we didn't have Peter, it'd be very easy for us to get discouraged. But Peter gives us hope too. More often than not, we mess up, we stumble, we fall, fall from grace in our walk with Jesus. And when we feel like we have no hope and no encouragement and, and, and we are, are, are worthless in our walk, Peter is there and we can see what he's done and what God has done through Peter. We can recognize that he did it first and we're offered some hope. So what has Peter done? What, why is this such a significant moment that, that Peter is the one that gets singled out? And it's very interesting. One of the, the things that scholars point to is we know that, that the, the Bible is, is, is historically accurate because often it takes these people like the, the disciples, the apostles who are the leader of the church, and then paints them in these really un, unloving lights and points out their, their failures and their flaws. And they say, there's, there's no question that, that this is a historically accurate account because nobody in their right mind trying to start a, a new religion is going to paint their, one of their biggest leaders as being this. But Peter falls into one of the greatest mistakes that often we can as people who follow Jesus. Because Peter is saying here, that will never happen to me. Can you think of a time in your life where you have said something similar to that? You've heard a story, you've heard about something on the news, and you have thought to myself, oh, that will never happen to me, and then it did. I would wager if you are a parent in the room, there is at some point in your life as you were parenting your children, and back when you were a perfect parent, which means you did not have children, you said, oh, I'll never do that. And then you did. Because once you realize what those children are like, sometimes you'll say anything to get you to be quiet. I will never feed my kids sugary cereal. Yes, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, here, go. Just leave me alone. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. 
You know what? Chocolate cake, fine. Don't care. I don't just just go away. By all means, eat a box of nerds for breakfast. I'm not, right now, I just don't want you here. We're all like that, right? We say, oh, that'll never happen to me, but it does. These stories can be funny, but often when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, it can be heartbreaking. If we took a moment to reflect on how many pastors, how many family members, how many other godly people have fallen and walked away from the faith because they bought into this lie that certain things would never happen to them. There is this presumption, even this arrogance that we see in Peter that often is reflected in ourselves that, that even though the Bible tells us what it means to be a sinner, even though we're willing to acknowledge that, yes, in some way, shape, or form, we might be a sinner, and that's why we need Jesus when it comes right down to it, we believe that we can live a righteous life by our own power. Somewhere deep in our heart, we think that when we look at the temptations that, that happen, when we look at Peter, when we look at what happens in Scripture, we say, no, 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 I'm better than that. I would never do that. No, I'm, I'm too smart for that. And so I don't need to worry about that sin or that temptation. I don't need to, I don't need to walk circumspectly. I, can, I, I really truly believe that I can do this right even apart from Jesus. We might not say it. But anytime we say, oh, that would never happen to me. In a way, we're turning to Jesus we're speaking to the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and we're saying, hey, this one area of my life, I don't need you here. I've got this. This is why in Scripture we read statements like this. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let he who thinks he stands take heed so that he does not fall. The statement that that will never happen to me is a statement that Scripture calls us to throw out the window. Instead, we must consistently and humbly approach Jesus and say, I know that I have a sinful nature. I know that my heart is prone towards sin, and so much so that I cannot even always see the temptation and the sinful thoughts that I, ha that I have. I don't always recognize them. I can't always acknowledge them, that my, I have a sinful nature and that sin is something that can happen to me easily. And nevertheless, Christ Jesus, I trust you in your goodness and in your mercy to save me. Understand, please, that, that, that this is, is, is really one of the, probably the second most important thing that, that you can pull from the Scripture today. If you're a note taker or you listen to me talk for, for you know, minutes and minutes and minutes, I won't say hours and hours, but hopefully you don't think that about me, um, for, for a long, Sherry, don't say nothing, um, for a long, long time, and you think, why, well, he says, uh, he talks a lot and doesn't say nothing. Here's what I want you to get. Number two, the number two thing I want you to get from this passage is that we are all susceptible to sin. And to think in our head and in our heart that there are areas of our lives where we can turn a blind eye to because we would never give in to temptation or sin in these areas is a dangerous place to be. 
we have to recognize our own sinfulness, that you are just as prone to falter and to stumble under temptation as the next guy or the next girl. Because when you are able to recognize this, then you are able to come to Jesus and come under the power of the Holy Spirit to guard yourself against it and hopefully escape it. We recently, we just read from 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Let me read to you what 10, 13 says. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may endure it. When we begin to recognize that we are are prone to sin, that our fleshly nature does not only extend to certain parts of our personality, but to all of it, and we become acutely aware of our own faults and our own dangers, and, and, and then take this to the Lord and ask Him to lead us and guide us and protect us, what the Scripture says is He will. And He will lead you and He will guide you to safe havens, to green pastures, and to still waters. But the moment you take an area of your life and you say, but not here, here I'm good, then you put yourself in jeopardy. Unfortunately, as we read from the text, Peter sticks to his guns and says, I will not. I will not abandon you. I will not falter. I will not give up. And so then we must turn the page to Mark 14 and start in verse 66. Now, by this point in the text, Judas has betrayed Jesus. We're going to read that in the weeks to come as we come up to to Easter Sunday. He has been handed over to the the temple guard and taken to the the house of, of the high priest. He has been interviewed. He has been condemned wrongly. He has been beaten. Or actually, he's in the process of being interviewed. And he's in the process of being carried out. Can we read these words? As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, he looked at him, or she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the porch. The servant girl was with him and began once more to say to bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for so you are a Galilean too. And he began to curse and swear and say, I do not know this man that you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed for the second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, that before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. So Peter, who was convinced that even if it meant dying for Jesus, that he would remain with Jesus, 
twice in this passage was so afraid that he denied him because of a servant girl. Finally, in the last time, when that servant girl had begun to draw a crowd, he denied him so thoroughly that he began to make oaths and swear and say, I, on, on my whatever, I swear to you, I don't know that man. I want you to understand, this is a total failure on Jesus' part, or excuse me, on Peter's part. He has completely failed. Even if we could argue, well, at first he just said, I don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're, you're one of the, the followers of the Jesus guy. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I can't hear you. Lie, 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 I can't hear you. Finally, by this point, by the third time when the crowds began to say, no, you were with him. You're, you're even from Galilee. You're, I, I, I recognize your accent. You're from Galilee. You're, surely you're one of them. He says, I swear, I do not know that man. His failure was complete. And the rooster crowed for the second time. And he knew. He knew he'd failed. And he wept over his failure. When we think about our own lives, and there are many times in our lives as we walk with God and we were going to fail to walk with God, and sometimes those are little things. Sometimes those are things that we can quickly remedy, even as we were learning today um, in Sunday school class about the, the prodigal son and how the prodigal son came to his senses and recognized his failures and where he was. And so he, he went to his father and said, I have sinned against you and against God. And if you would just make me one of your servants, that would be enough. And we see there a man who recognized his failure and returned to his failure. And unfortunately, so often in the church, we have people who fail. They try to walk with God. They try to, to follow the Lord. But because of something that, that, that happens in their life, some temptation they give into, they, they fail and they fall. And, and, and the sad thing about that is, as we see it over and over again, is they are too ashamed to return. They fear the judgment. They fear that they're going to walk into a hostile or unloving place. They fear what might happen if they said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Sometimes we just fear being wrong. And we don't want to admit, as I said earlier, we're willing to say, oh yeah, I'm sinful and I'm not perfect, but we don't like to actually go here. I messed up here. And I was wrong here. And here is an example. Here is the proof of my sinfulness and my need for a Savior. And so many never return. And even today, still live with the shame and the belief that they have no place in the body of Christ. That they are not welcome. Brothers and sisters, this is a lie. Imagine for a moment if Peter, upon seeing his failure and recognizing that he had not gone through with the promises that he had made, had walked out the door, wept, and then proceeded back to Galilee into his fishing boat. Where would the church be today? Where would the scriptures be? 
Where would our hope be? But praise be to God, this was not the end of the story. Now Mark hints at this, but Mark likes to leave things hanging just a little bit. And while this may be the end of the story in Mark until the very, very end where Peter is mentioned once again, I want to turn to another passage of Scripture where we see a very different story. Now, we could go back to, over to the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 21, we could read about Jesus as he spoke to Peter, and, and he, he called Peter back into the ministry with the questions, Peter, do you love me? And how in that moment, Jesus restored Peter to his ministry. But I want to read to you from a little different place. And I want to read to you a restoration of Peter that, that, that can mean something to us today and, and move us into the weeks to come. I want you to see what happened to this Peter who was intimidated by a servant girl. Turn with me over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 2, we read of Peter preaching to the, the crowds at Pentecost. And it is a powerful, wonderful, and beautiful moment in his ministry but I cannot lie that I love the words of Peter in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 5 we read these words on the next day the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem and Annas the, the high priest was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly descent and when they had placed them, them being Peter and John, in the center, they began to inquire. By what power or in what name have you done this? See, they had, had helped somebody. They had he, done, performed a healing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What a comeback! This was a man that we seen, and we're talking just a month and a half ago. In the midst of all that was going on, in the midst of the ministry, had gotten in so intimidated by a servant girl and random people passing by that he denied Jesus, cursed, made an oath, and said, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. I've never heard of this guy. Leave me alone. 
And in the course of a month and a half, now he is not standing before bystanders or servant girls. He is not talking to the random crowd. He is talking to the leadership and the people that could have him stoned or even crucified himself. And he says, let me tell you by whose power I did this. It was by Jesus the Jesus that you rejected, the Jesus that you crucified. But guess what? He's the Jesus who rose from the grave. And I stand before you as the rulers and the elders and the priests of our nation that even if you do not cry out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be condemned. Because it is not through the temple worship, it is not through the sacrifices, it is not through all the festivals and the Sabbaths that you will be saved. It is only through the name of Jesus Christ that you will be saved. He looked them square in the eye, the people that had the power to have him killed, and he said, come what may. Jesus is the Messiah. All too often, we think in the church that if we fail, it's over. That our service in the church is over, that our witness is over, that God cannot use us, and that he doesn't want us. Because of the times that we have failed, we believe that we have wandered too far and that we are nothing more than damaged goods. But brothers and sisters, this is a lie born straight from the enemy. And that the most important thing, I told you what the second most important thing was, was to recognize that we are prone to sin and to be conscious of that and to cry out to Jesus to help us through that. The most important thing that you can learn from this message in our time today is that God can take your mistakes and do something wonderful. He can take all the things in your life that may hold you back and think, well, God can't use me. God doesn't want me. I've, got, I, I've had all these mistakes. I've done all these things. It's too late. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too ugly. I'm too bald. I'm too good looking. He will take all of those things and say, I can use all of those things for my kingdom and, in my, and to use them to reach people and to give them hope and encouragement. You, brothers and sisters, and me included, are not beyond his grace. We are not beyond his power. He can and he will still use you for his kingdom and for his glory. If he could do it with Peter. If he did it with Paul. Then he can do it with you. I want to leave you with the words of Paul on this subject. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, writing to his protege, he says these words. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy 
because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. If this was true for Paul, and if it was true for Peter, it's true for you. So what are you going to do? Are you going to let your past failures become the excuses that keep you silent and sitting on a pew? Or are your past failures going to be the fuel that moves your ministry to reach lost people that only you can reach and to serve in the church in the ways that only you can for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we praise God. We praise you for Peter. Lord, we praise you for Peter because we know that Peter shows us that you will use anyone and that you can use anyone and that no one is short of your power. No one is beyond your grace. My God and my joy Lord, I pray today is a day that every single person in this room will cry out to you to liberate them, to emancipate them from the chains that are keeping them from serving you with all their hearts. Lord, for some of us in here today, that means crying out to you for the very first time to, to emancipate them, to free them from the sin that has them shackled and, and going to, to eternity separated from you. But God, for many of us, it just means that we need to cry out to you to release the chains that are preventing us from serving you with everything we are. God, I pray whether that is someone watching this online, listening to this as a podcast or in this room today. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. And that you would restore them. And that you would move them to serve your kingdom wherever they may be. And that through that, the lost may be found, the weak may be strengthened, and hope may be preached to the oppressed. God, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.